0: Research has shown that when employees feel that they belong to a team or an organization, they will not only tend to perform better, but also experience higher levels of engagement and well-being. But our feeling of belonging at work has become challenged over the past year as we've shifted away from in-person interactions and found ourselves relying on video calls and screen activities to stay connected. As the experience of culture has become more diffused, elusive, and subjective. How can senior leaders foster a greater sense of belonging among employees? I'm thrilled to discuss how to create a culture of belonging in a hybrid work environment with Asif Mustafa. Welcome to the Virtual Space Hero Podcast. My name is Barbara, and I have the big pleasure to talk on a regular basis to colleagues from across the globe about how they successfully lead and collaborate in virtual teams, how they design and facilitate virtual learning journeys, and how they organize and produce extraordinary and memorable virtual events.
1: Hello there, and welcome Virtual Space Hero community. We have seen in 2020 that due to the pandemic and due to the remote working um, environment that many organizations had to go into, many teams felt like dispersed and did not really feel connected. So, of course, many organizations that I worked with, we were particularly focusing on how we can create that culture of belonging. And I'm really happy because today I'm going to discuss this aspect with the Head of Culture Transformation and Employee Engagement from Selcom Axiata. It is Asif Mustafa.
2: Hello. How are you, Dr. Barbara? Thank you so much for inviting me today.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. It is great having you with me here. Asif, can you let us know a little bit what is it that you are doing as Head of Culture Transformation and Employee Engagement?
2: Thank you, Barbara. I was brought in about three years ago, just under three years ago now, uh, when Selkom Aziata Berhad wanted to transform their culture. So as a new position, uh, I report to the chief human resources officer. And the, the thought at the time was that the industry is changing so rapidly, the company is moving so fast that somebody needed to kind of focus on really building a culture that would bring us into this new era, bring us into this new ability to, to service customers in a different way so that employees can feel a sense of belonging, and, you know, we could really, really become a better organization by transforming the culture. So as you know, culture is everything. It it really is everything from what it looks like way on top of the organization, all the way to every single employee of the organization behaving a certain way. So uh, culture really is a result of how the organization is set up. And the best I can do as a culture practitioner is try and create an environment where a good culture can thrive.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Asif, for giving us a little bit of context. So your organization was lucky because you started to think more about culture already three years ago. And we know that particular last year became so important. What is your connection to culture? How did you enter the field, it?
2: I was a generalist. I do everything, a little bit of everything. When I was hired by Telcom, I never in my entire 20 odd years of working history had the title culture or engagement in, in any of my job positions. So uh, <laughs> Telcom really took a risk on me and it shows, you know, the type of progressive thinking that is there as well, because I had been in several different organizations, several different industries really. But maybe the thing that stood out in my career path was that I had always been the one to take the lead in transforming things and especially culture and people. So even though it wasn't a job description, I had demonstrated throughout the years that I had the ability to lead people in a way that they were happy to do things differently instead of, you know, fighting tooth and nail, not wanting to change. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where they brought me in. And I must say this has been, you know, one of the best experiences in my life this past three years has been it's very fulfilling very nurturing environment, and I got to meet so many beautiful people over, over the last three years that I, I'm very happy where I am right now.
1: It sounds fantastic. You know, the organizational culture is a topic I've been teaching that at universities for more than 15 years, and I just love that. And talking to somebody who sort of is dealing with organizational culture and is going to make organization or his or her organization better every day. It's fantastic. I love that. So you were already saying organizational culture is the way we behave from top to down and you want to create an organizational culture that makes employees and the the organization thrive. So if we think about that, how do you do that? Because you're one person, you are sort of situated from an organizational perspective in the HR department, you're reporting to the head of HR and what is your role? What are the steps or the actions or the systems or the processes that you implement in order to create culture to change culture
2: right can be divided into several areas there's the formal mechanisms right sometimes when people talk about culture they think it's very fluffy and it's just feel good things Uh, that's part of it A, a large part of it is communicating in a different way to everyone but more importantly that the formal mechanisms the recruitment the job evaluations All of the hardcore HR stuff really needs to be in sync with this new culture that we're trying to build. So much of my work is really translating what the aspirations are of the leaders of the organization, the type of culture that they envision for the organization, and then translating that into what are the nuts and bolts of changing certain processes or procedures or ways people are measured and all of this. It's a lot of really checking off a long list of things so that to make sure that in all areas of the organization, the culture is embedded somehow mm-hmm. or the other. So that, that's a big part of the piece.
1: Can I ask you a question, Asif? So if I just think about that from a day to day work perspective, so what you do, would uh, how would it look like? So you know how culture should be, or how, w- what you decided, what you in cooperation with um, the management team you define that culture is at your organization, and then you go to the small processes, the different processes, you look into the different documents, and then you edit, you suggest edits, what's the what's the way how you work there?
2: Well, let, let me tell you about how we started, since it was the journey wasn't that long ago, it was only three years ago, uh, and what happened was a new CEO came on board right before 2019. At the end of 2018, a new CEO came on board, and He inherited an organization that had gone through several attempts of shifting the culture. So the past couple of CEOs had their own spin of things. Um, But when I came on board in 1st Jan 2019, first thing that the bosses told me to do was you need to meet the people and find out uh, what's going on. You need to understand and you need to listen to people. So I took that listen thing very seriously. I said, okay, I need to listen to people. And uh, my boss said, here's a plane ticket. It was an open plane ticket. So he made (laughs) me go to every single small town that we operate in, in Malaysia. And we operate in every town, uh, every single state in the country. So I traveled the most part of the first six months of my job. I didn't do much else than meeting people. So I had met, I think the last count was over 90% of the people working at that point in time, face to face. So in those meetings, all I really did was listen. I opened up. I said, share what's going on with you. How can I make it better for you? And after meeting all of these people, I think the main success of what that was, was it created a sense of openness among people as well as really lifted my credibility as a leader because now I understood people and people had met me face-to-face and I had shown that I am ready and open to listen to them. Uh, And that was very critical to me as I thanked Uh, my bosses for having the foresight uh, and and knowing that that was important for me. So what was incredible is after that session, then I spent a lot of time with the senior leadership, including the CEO. And then we sat down and said, this is what's really going on. And uh, what we did was we crafted a very simple cultural framework. We can call it that. We call it the compass. So It's the Selcom compass. It shows direction, has four very easy values. All of that go towards one purpose statement, which is just three words. It's advancing our societies. So then once we had that in place from the top, my job was to go around again, around the country and make sure that everybody understood this. We played games. We did role modeling. We had uh, role playing games so that people could understand what it meant to advance the societies and they could understand what it means to live the four corporate values that we have. Uh, and then of course, COVID struck in early 2020. So we were then, you know, it was impossible to go out and meet people anymore. But what I discovered, Barbara, was that this online, the way we're meeting now, was actually even more valuable. It was even more effective in certain areas because uh, I could meet so many more people. I didn't have to Mm -hmm. book hotel rooms and flight tickets. In one day, I could travel five different cities in the Mm -hmm. country and meet five different groups of people. In a sense, it was even more intimate because then I could meet smaller groups of people. And if everybody had the cameras on, I could actually see their facial expressions and what's in their eyes as opposed to speaking at a big room where there's a hundred people and the guy in the second or third row already, I can't see their faces. So it became even more intimate. It became even more documented because the sessions were recorded. All of their comments are in the chat that can be referred to later. I think what happened was beneficial in a way, so it helped me get my job done better with the advent of working remotely.
1: I think it's very interesting what you're saying, because I also can understand that particularly in such a big organization, how many employees are we talking about in your the company?
2: 3,500.
1: So I imagine that must be like amazing Um, how much you can, the bigger scope that you can reach with a virtual sort of um setup setting. And I know that you do a lot of virtual work and virtual keynote speaking as well. So I assume that you, of course, have also the proper sort of didactics or virtual facilitation techniques to make it sort of an, an, a great experience. And I think with that, it's already like very valuable for this setting, for your organization to have the possibility to test this all in a virtual way. And also, of course, for you, it, how to say it, it was the next step to go into the virtual, but also now into the hybrid setup, right?
2: Right. Now we're, we're half of us are working from the office and half, like today I'm working from home. Uh, and today I actually chaired or, or uh, moderated a session with the CEOs. The, the industry knows we're in the midst of a merger right now. So our telco is merging. We're kind of the number two player in the country. We're merging with the number three player in the country to make To become this the number one player. Yes,
1: to become the number one player now.
2: Yes. And as we studied in uh, the Global Case Study Challenge, mergers are very complex and are very uh, difficult to pull off uh, effectively and successfully. Uh, But I'm part of the merger integration team. We're a very small team that works very hard at making sure that we cover all the bases. Uh, And I'm in charge of the merge target culture. So it's interesting that you're talking about, you know, hybrid work because we're definitely planning for that. We don't expect this to go away soon and we don't expect things to go back to pre-2019 anytime soon. So, anyways, let me
1: just add, I think even if we go back, I think we cannot expect that our employees want to go back full-time. I think that's also one of the challenges, right?
2: Exactly. So we're already addressing that and we're already uh, thinking of ways to make it better for people. I think now that people have experienced remote working, i mean you do the research i think that's one of the reasons the great uh, resignation is happening in the us and other parts of the world is people now realize that if my life is so much better now that i'm working at home close to my family close to my pets uh you know i don't have to be in transit for three hours a day so definitely we're addressing that and it's become a bit of a challenge to fit culture into all of these discussions
1: Mm -hmm. if you think about you said you had defined four values is that correct? Yes. Can you name the values so that we get a better idea?
2: Sure. It's, again, the, pur- the main purpose is advancing our societies. And our first value is customer first. Second is learn and innovate. The third is respect for individuals. And the fourth is uncompromising integrity. So yes. those are our four core values.
1: If you think about the four core values that you developed before, pan- uh, before Corona, before the pandemic, I do read a lot of articles and just blog articles and white papers that organizations have the feeling that culture change or need to change after the pandemic or because of the pandemic. Do you have a feeling that your values might be changing or are the values the same, but the way that they are sort of embedded in the teams might be different? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think the values remain. uh, And it was designed in a way that it was a long-term, we uh, alluded to faith when we talk about the values, because that is something that is inherent in us and we believe in them. But in order to achieve living those values, obviously the ways and means of doing those things change. Perhaps yeah. the ways of work have definitely changed pre-pandemic and post. But I think the values themselves, they're, they're unchanging. They're, they're mm-hmm. here to stay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you think now, um, so you already said you're preparing for hybrid and we're going to talk about the merger in a second if you, if you allow me to. So um, if you think about the, the hybrid aspect, the virtual work, what did you do in your organization to create a culture of belonging? Like if you if you want to start maybe to think about and reflect, what is it that you did last year when we all went virtual for a certain amount of time? And also, what are you planning to keep in a hybrid organization to keep that culture of belonging growing?
2: Great question. I think uh, when we first started, just like any other company in the world, we were jumping into the unknown we had never done this before we had never even had remote workers before um so we there was obviously at the start a, a little bit of a panic and then once things settled down we realized that people felt a bit disconnected while working from home so what we did was we instilled quite a few uh, formal programs which included hangouts you know they were informal events however they were structured and they were scheduled so we had organizational-wide hangouts. I spoke to each of the group heads, all of the C-levels, and they organized their own hangouts within their teams. And it had become a, sort of a culture. We knew that one time in the week, we'll relax with our team members virtually. Uh, we'll not talk about work and we'll talk about something, whatever we want to talk about. So that was instilled. Uh, secondly, the CEO made it a point to reach out to everyone very fre- frequently. So he made CEO updates live every two weeks. So every two weeks, he would come on. uh, He would address every single person in the organization. Uh, They would talk about anything current. People could ask questions live. uh, And that definitely created a sense of belonging because people all over the organization said, I have never worked for a company where I had this much access to the CEO. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the C-levels had also what we call skip-level meetings. So they would meet with people two, three, four levels below them in small groups. We would invite people in small groups to have a hangout with this C levels. And that happened very frequently as well, at least once a month with each member of the CSL, uh, senior leadership team, we call it. So it was, you know, these sort of activities created a sense that they're not alone, even though they're working alone at home.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic because very often I do see that sea level is being perceived as not approachable and very far away. So the moment that you sort of give more closeness between the top of the, of the, of the, of the pyramid at the end and the bottom of the pyramid, we do know that this creates a big sense of, um, of belonging and probably also it takes away uncertainty because I imagine that last year also uh, your managers were addressing sort of What is going on with the company? And I had the feeling in many organizations, there was so much uncertainty that was left on the people that even sort of increased the emotional and the virtual burden of the pandemic year. Because if I don't take away the uncertainty of what the sunshine is going on in my company, a lot of people were scared. They were scared because they don't, they didn't know what is going to happen with my organization if we cannot work for like three months or if we. We reduce our our sales for a certain amount of time, whatever. And of I think course. this this probably also creates a great sense of team belonging.
2: Yes, and uh, we're of course we're blessed that we work in an industry that was indispensable. Actually, demand went up during the pandemic. Data demand went up, voice went up. So you know people need to be connected because we're Maybe. providing connectivity. So one of the interesting items was that because we just launched this new purpose, advancing our societies. And we have a vision of becoming the most inspiring digital organization. Uh, Our CEO, when the pandemic first hit, ran the organization via the BCM. So we dismantled the normal uh, hierarchy. The Business Continuity Management Group ran the organization. I was invited into that group as well. So we met every single morning. CEO would chair every single meeting every every day at eight o'clock in the morning. So one of the decisions we had to make was that Actually, every decision we made, the CEO would play actually my role. I was so blessed because I didn't have to do this. He would ask the decision makers, are we making decisions based on our purpose? And is this in line with our vision? Are we becoming more inspirational by taking this decision? Or should we do it somewhere something else? So that really helped to drive the culture throughout the organization. And one of the things that the government mandated for us early in 2019 was that all telcos needed to provide one gigabyte of data to every single subscriber for free so Mm -hmm. all telcos had to comply with this and because we had this purpose of advancing our societies and we wanted to become the most inspiring digital organization when the decision came to how do we provide this data to other people we had that context in mind and because we have a value of customer first we said how can we make this as easy and as seamless as possible how can we proactively communicate to our consumer base, which is which runs in the tens of millions of people. How can we tell them that they already have the free gigabyte of data, don't worry about it. We're gonna use your free data first before we even tap into the data that you paid for. And this contrasted so deeply with other telcos who being the normal businessmen that they were, mm-hmm. made people fill out a form, you have to fill out this to get your free GB, you have to run, basically jump through hoops to get something for free. So when a consultant did a study of all telcos in Malaysia and how they were how consumers were treated by their telcos, we came in heads and shoulders above all of our competition because we came as real, as humane, as humans, you know, really caring about what people needed and providing things easily for them. I think mm-hmm. that made a huge difference.
1: It's super interesting. Um, thanks so much for sharing also those um those details about um what you are, are undertaking. What specifically was it about the CEO updates that contributed to a sense of team belonging in the remote context? Was it transparency, accessibility of CEO, authenticity, or personal traits? What do you think, Asif?
2: Thank you, Doug. I think it's all of the above, but the key to me was accessibility because again and again, I heard throughout the organization people were saying, This guy is so accessible. I can, you know, I can have a meeting with him. I can call him up. He's always available every two weeks. He's there. And because it was, scheduled and because it became routine people had that sense of comfort so we addressed the unpredictability that we were talking about just now barbara we addressed the uncertainty that people feel because if it was regular like clockwork people knew that ceo is going to be here he's going to address our fears if we're worried we can ask him a question that all proved to be crucial in in providing and building the sense of belonging mm.
1: And I also think that the the other measure that you talked about, where um, one manager was uh, meeting with teams it's of two three level. levels below, yeah, exactly. So I also think this is the same. It just takes out the hierarchy and uh, it creates much more an approachable an approachable manager um, figure yeah. there. And yeah. I also just think about I'm not for, I'm not sure if you have ever been working with a reverse mentoring program, um, Asif, but I know in, in Austrian banks it was very common um, like ten years ago or five years ago. I had three companies that I was following that they were implementing reverse mentoring programs and the idea was to have the manager, the big CEO being um, teamed up mentored up to say so with one of the youngest and less experienced wow. um, newest um, team members of that bank and the idea was that the younger team member became the mentor because wow. we assumed that younger team members they have sort of the digital skills, to sort of transfer the knowledge, the know-how to the usually by trend or older um, C-level managers. And also this this approachability that includes a reverse mentoring was also something that was always pointed out by the young um, employees of that company, of that bank, how um, incredible that was perceived.
2: That's amazing. That's, that sounds something that I should look into as we build the MerchCo Co culture. Thank you so much. But, you know, we operate in Malaysia and we have a very deep sense of, of respect for elders, particularly. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes translates to not being so upfront and honest, not speaking your mind, especially in front of leaders. And there's a sense of very deep respect for hierarchy. So we had to address that head on. And we had to, when we say our culture is, uh, the value is respect for individuals, We had to play out that scenario where you had to speak to your superior about something that is not right. So we had to train people to do that because it doesn't come naturally. And we had to show people that if you respect somebody, you need to tell them the truth and you need to be upfront with them. I mean, maybe in some European countries, this is normal. But for us, this is since we were born, this is never done, right? So we had to train and teach people how to do this.
1: It's such an interesting aspect that you're bringing up because certainly that's something that we also address to some extent um, in the live sessions of the Global Case Study Challenge, where we do see that in intercultural teams, some have a very direct way of communicating. Other cultures might have a rather indirect uh, way of face saving and not saying what they're really thinking because they might feel ashamed or might ashamed somebody else. And um, that's also something that we, of course, try to sort of reflect on with our, uh, with our learners throughout the journey. Yeah, Interesting sure. um, how you were doing that. Uh, how, how were you addressing that? Were you doing trainings? Was it a yeah. campaign that you were running? What were you doing to to address the topic of speaking out um, what they want to say? Yeah.
2: It's a mixture of both. We do have training, specific training on having difficult com- conversations. Uh, but we had a roadshow when we talked about the values. So when we came to respect for individuals, one of the things we called out was exactly that. We said, in order to respect people, you need to tell the truth. And sometimes by telling the truth, it's a bit difficult, but here's how you do it. So we gave them steps on what to do, how to do it. So it had to be that level because we assume that nobody knew how to do this because Mm -hmm. it's just not part of our natural culture that we were brought up in. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks a lot. That's it. But now, so let me ask a question about the merger. So in terms of culture, let's just focus a little bit on the values and the cultural transformation and the merger itself. So, of course, the company that you are merging with is also coming with their culture, with their values. You have just set up the four values that you defined with the overall purpose that you were giving your company, your overall vision. What are you going to do with that now um, during the merger? What is your plan?
2: Well, first thing we did was, of course, set a baseline. What is the current culture in Cellcom and what is the current culture of the other company, DG? Uh, And we compared that. I think what was surprising, and obviously I can't go into details, but what was surprising was how close the two organizations were in terms of culture. When the perception on the surface was that we are more of a government kind of linked company and, you know, we're more staid and boring and, and very proper. While this other company was young, upstart, they come out of Norway. So they're a bit, they have that sort of culture going for them. And they thought it was going to be a huge clash of cultures. But when we did a baseline and when we started speaking with people, uh, what was surprising to many people was that the culture was so close. And I think this was because we started on this culture transformation journey three years ago. If you had spoken to us perhaps four years ago, it would have been a really different organization. Mm. So uh, I'm very blessed that what we've done over the past few years has translated not just in culture measurements, not just in engagement uh, indexes, but also in the business. In the industry, we have outperformed our competitors, our main competitors. Uh, we have retained more customers than all the other competitors. We have attracted more uh, subscribers than all the other competitors. And I'm not going to say this all because of culture, but, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> something and has we, to be you know, Culture about... eats strategy for breakfast. So <laughs> exactly. I totally believe in that. So let's say it out loud. It's <laughs> all because of culture, Asif. Come on. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm not going to claim that, but hey, you can make your own inferences. <laughs> I do
1: that. I do that. I claim that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool, cool, cool. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. Very, very interesting. And you know that one of the tools that I usually that I used once with a with a very big merger was the uh, the Cameron Quinn framework of the competing values. I'm not sure if that was part of your case in the global case study challenge. But Cameron Quinn is a model where um, you can measure the culture of company A and company B and then see where the overlap is. And I sometimes also use that in a, in smaller contexts when I work with teams, for example, or um, smaller organizations and they want to understand how the different departments, for example, because we do know that the the bigger the organization, the more cultures you have also within an organization, like departmental right. cultures. So you were, what were you using? You were saying that you were having like interviews and you saw like that the cultures were much closer together than than you even thought before.
2: Yeah, there was a measurement tool and there was a curve over seven dimensions and those curves were very closely, even if they were not exactly the same, they were very closely related. On top of that, we had interviews with all the C-levels and we had even interviews with key customers. So all of these aspects brought us into a place where we could, explain the current culture as well as with the interviews with the senior leadership set uh, the stage for setting up the target culture for the merch co.
1: fantastic i would love to know what is it that particularly strikes you about culture what is it that motivates you to work on culture and cultural transformation as your job is about
2: right uh like i told you this current job is so fulfilling and so nurturing for me because we have a value that says customer first, we had to also explain to those non-customer facing groups that internal customers are also customers. So when every time I meet anyone in uh I would explicitly say, you are my customer and my job is to serve you the best that I can. And Mm. my entire team repeats that to everyone that they meet. I believe that has really transformed the way people look at HR in general and especially my team. And I'm so happy to say that I can travel anywhere in the country and I don't recognize many of these people, but they will come up to me. Uh, and I've had people come up to me at weddings and <laughs> at dinner and say, hey, you're Azif and thank you so much for sharing. But it's been amazing. It's an amazing journey for me. I think, uh, like I said, throughout my 20 art year career, it's always been about building culture. I just didn't know it at the time. But now, because the role is very specific and uh, we could see results... I think this is really the most fulfilling job that I've had so far, and I'm just so happy to be here.
1: How cool, fantastic. How could you manage to help older members that face difficulties with the digital part of the new work?
2: Wow, excellent question, Abdul Kadir. Uh, and of, obviously, the multi-generational workforce is a, is a thing, is a real thing. Uh, Dr. Barbara here studies that as well. And we have at least five generations probably at, at our workplace right now. But because we are a technology company, we're a telco, it's not that big a deal for us. We have always been working online. And one of the key things that went in our favor as we went into the remote workspace, I told you we had never done that before. But three years prior, we were on this huge digital transformation journey. So we had already put in place all of the tools, techniques, trainings that people needed in order to work remotely, even though we didn't need to at the time. So we were very fortunate with that. But of course, we have clinic days, open days where people help each other. Even the hangouts that we organize sometimes turns into like these digital clinics as well because the younger people would say, this is easy. And older people like me would say, how how did you do this, right? So even the hangouts where we say, don't talk about work, sometimes transforms into these kind of sessions where people help each other out. To use the tools, but we've we've transitioned really quickly. Uh, Barbara, we've launched a mobile app that all employees use. It's really easy to use. You can book meeting rooms, book people's time, get everyone's contact details, everything on your phone. So you know the transformation has been real for us, where it's been purely digital. Uh, right now, I think the challenge is to grab all of this data, the big data that we have, all of these millions of transactions a day that we have, and make sense of them in a true way. So I I think that's moving forward. That's part of my mandate to see how we can best use this data to serve the organization better and to understand our people better. Super cool.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Asif, again, for joining me here on the stage. Thank you very much for being here.
2: (laughs) Take care, everyone. Please connect with me on LinkedIn or any of my socials. I appreciate
1: Here you go, Asif Mustafa. Definitely make sure to follow him. Great content that he's sharing and with a lot of great video editing there. So uh, there is one skill that you have, dear God, that I still need to learn. Bye. Bye.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Bye. And don't forget to become a virtual space hero.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, we highly appreciate if you share our podcast via social media or with a colleague. If you want to get more tips, tricks, practices and tools directly to your inbox, please go to our webpage virtualspacehero.com and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, become a virtual space hero.